Hello and welcome to Cultivating Conversations. I'm Claire Nazir. Just two years ago, the UK outlined its hydrogen strategy, a comprehensive roadmap to develop a thriving national hydrogen economy over the coming decade, placing green hydrogen as part of the country's ambitious net zero commitment, describing it as a superfuel. The UK government has followed through with a number of significant promises and pledges. In April 2022, the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund was launched. Worth £240 million, it supports multiple low-carbon hydrogen production technologies. Even more recently, the British Energy Security Strategy doubled the UK's hydrogen production ambition to 10 gigawatts by 2030, stipulating that 50% must come from green hydrogen. This is an exciting time for the clean hydrogen space. We're not unfamiliar with energy transitions. Coal to gas injected a swathe of fresh skills into the energy sector, as well as a comprehensive pipeline distribution network across the country. Both these skills and pipeline network will now be of great benefit to what lies ahead as the UK adopts green hydrogen as part of their decarbonising plans. How would it work? And what is the expectation for success given the tight deadlines looming ahead? I caught up with Eric Adams, Green Hydrogen Project Director at Carlton Power. Carlton Power, formed in 1994, focused on large gas-fired generation, producing 8% of the installed combined cycle capacity in the UK. During the next 20 years, it allowed for the closure of coal. They are now firmly positioned in the green sector, operating solar farms, battery storage and grid stability, which will allow for more penetration of renewables. They are also developing green hydrogen facilities in the northwest and southwest of England. I began by asking Eric how green hydrogen is currently positioned in the UK. I think we're in a very good place. I mean, even relative to probably a year ago or 18 months ago. So when we first first started looking at the, the hydrogen space, perhaps two years ago, uh, I think there was firmly a focus on blue hydrogen, as I said before, you know, in terms of the government target that that has now spread out to more green hydrogen as well. Um, and I think there was a, a bit of a barrier. I mean, often at some point when you have a discussion about hydrogen, we talk about the chicken and egg situation. So there was definitely companies there with an aspiration to transition away from natural gas to use alternative fuels, but didn't see hydrogen as an option because they didn't know where it was going to come from. They didn't know when it was going to be available and didn't know how much it's going to cost. The government strategy and the hydrogen investment package has now helped to address those targets. So, for example, in Manchester and in Barrow and in Langage, where we have our schemes, we can now tell the companies who are interested in doing it, here's a pathway that will provide hydrogen from these specific sites by 2025 and with the support of the government will be cost parity with natural gas. So that transition has happened very quickly. So whereas two years ago, you know, there was a bit of a discussion with with potential hydrogen users that they hadn't really looked at it in, in a great level of detail because they didn't have the certainty of the supply of fuel. That certainty is now picking up and it's now enabling commercial decisions to be made, which in turn accelerates the, the transition to net zero. So I think rather than five years, it's been kind of two years and less where that's happened. But obviously you've had the foresight for longer to realise that this will be um, 
part of the energy mix as we head through the 20s into into the 30s and and a key yeah. source of fuel who are the early adopters for hydrogen would you say those who are really embracing it i mean in our view there is you know the the the, the early adoption we see has been a, there's a number of industrial processes which are limited in terms of their options around the transition to net zero so you know for example there are some processes which have very high temperature requirements which cannot be delivered through electrification um in some cases there are specific sites where there are barriers to electrification due to the the grid infrastructure in the area um and there and and then there's also some other processes that have equipment that already have the ability to use hydrogen so we see that as a very first stage easy win and that initial adoption by organizations such as those which can utilize hydrogen in a fairly low risk manner will help to kind of build the confidence in the hydrogen sector in terms of and the learning to to help deliver future savings after that we see you know a kind of increase in terms of perhaps other industries who aren't ready immediately who can start the transition to hydrogen and then we're starting to look at the transportation sector um and you know potentially blending into the network you know which the government is looking at in terms of a an assessment of the feasibility of that um and then i think it's you know from that point it's potentially exponential growth um but but it's very difficult to to know the pace at which that will happen we're going to talk about your projects in a minute um but talk let's talk about sort of the industrial clusters particularly across northern britain where there's been a history of industry through hundreds of years now. How easy is it to make that switch from fossil fuels to hydrogen? I mean, I think there is a benefit where you can scale a project because you have a lot of heavy industry in an area and therefore it it makes it easier because you get the scale, but it also makes the investment more significant. And absolutely those heavy industrialised areas need that support. But in our view, in addition to the heavy industrialised areas, and I think this is where green hydrogen has a real key role to play, because it can be delivered at a smaller scale, it can actually deliver an option for net zero and an option for a transition away from fossil fuels in those areas which aren't as heavily industrialised but absolutely have key industries which underpin the economy which need to start that transition. So we think there is that combination of the heavy, heavy industrialised areas, but also the the, the more um, remote areas or, or the, the areas where industry is perhaps a little bit more dispersed to give those companies and those areas the tools to transition to net zero. I mean, ultimately, I think we are, you know, we, we work in a global market uh, and the companies in the areas outside of the industrial clusters have the same commercial pressures, but also want to have the same transition to net zero and we need to make sure i think that you know in terms of how all these types of schemes are supported that we you know distribute them around different areas of the uk and you know support different types of industries and and provide that kind of beacon projects and 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 pathways so that people can see how they can actually move from you know where they are now to that net zero point i, th- I think we've got now, you know, a lot of areas have identified their net zero targets 
they term it in different ways, but ultimately they want to reduce the carbon emissions associated with their businesses. Um, and having set the targets, they're now looking at the options, but absolutely we need some infrastructure in there to, to support them to do that. So when you talk about infrastructure, I presume that's one of the greatest challenges. It's the challenge between the storage and the supply, um, the pipeline yeah. uh, and creating a, a system which actually works. So it, everything is in balance. Has it been something that you have a business model which actually works and you've seen it play out or is it something you're still sort of experimenting with? Um, I mean, I think what we, we think we've got a, a business model that works, which is which is based around perhaps a little bit of a distributed model. Um, so we would have, you know, specific uh, hydrogen production hubs, which will provide hydrogen into defined local industries. And we would do that either by creating uh, a small hydrogen network in terms of pipelines or a small hydrogen network in terms of tankers to, to transport from the production site. What we see then happening in the long term, and, and this is perhaps where the larger scale projects come into play is you then start to get the linking of the hubs together through a transmission network and and I think if if you look at the development of the electricity network in the UK and the gas network in the UK if you look at 100 years ago the gas network and electricity network was very much at the distribution level so it was it was created around small industrial clusters it was created around you know, urban areas. Uh, And then in the longer term, you know, there was then a decision to create the national grid for both gas and electricity to move it around. So we think, you know, we certainly can't wait and and do it on the timescale we did with the electricity network. We need to do it quicker, but we think there is a definitely a role for doing it in both ways. So, So while what we're looking at is that kind of small distributed network, in parallel to that, we know there are you know, the larger blue hydrogen schemes such as Hynet and East Coast Hydrogen looking to put in place some of the larger transmission networks over a, on, on a regional scale. And we know that National Grid are looking at, um, you know, a, a national scale network. I think what will happen with all of these will develop in parallel and ultimately they will all link in together. Where does hydrogen fuel skills pool come from? Because obviously it's uh, it's an emerging fuel rather than something that we have um, traditionally used and so our our skills network is pretty much in the UK based around fossil fuels is that where people have made that transition from one to another yeah I I think that a lot of that um, skills and expertise within the um, kind of traditional industries which have been reliant on fossil fuels are fundamentally similar skills to those which we require for, you know, hydrogen and net zero. Um, you know, the, the 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 engineering minds within a lot of those companies are, are fantastic in, in terms of solving problems, uh, and and they will help solve those problems. But but I think as well, it's also uh, it's not just about the skills themselves. It's about having an industry which uh, which demonstrates that those skills are required in the longer term. So, so there's the skills question, but there's also the sustainability of those skills. So I think with the emergence of the hydrogen market, with the emergence of, you know, all of the activities around net zero, not just hydrogen, you know, that increases the, the need for the, the, the engineering and the financial and all the other skills required to deliver these projects. Um, but also, you know, in terms of encouraging people into the sector, 
it, it shows that that this is a a, a, a job for life or, or a skill set that will be useful throughout your career. Um, and I think there's, that's an important thing to recognise as well that you know it's about a sustainability of, of of the employment market as well as just the core skills themselves. Obviously, gas is still a big money maker. Is it something which will become less of a, a priority for Carlton as we head through the next few decades? I, I mean, for for us, I think it, it comes down to the ability to in, invest a, or, or to to develop a project which is which is investable. Um, I think you know while. I think there is an enduring requirement for gas stations on the system. And indeed, I saw something uh, just in the last few days where Germany are looking to to, to roll out a number of new gas-fired stations. Uh, there is a need for those types of stations to you know, effectively provide the security of supply. But they are difficult investment decisions because they, you know, they are subject to a high level of, of commercial risk. And I think now our focus on the green hydrogen projects, we see the ability to, you know, have projects which can move quickly, which are very investable um, and, and which provide, you know, returns for, for those investors. So Eric has already discussed the role of green hydrogen as a key pathway to net zero. He refers to hydrogen hubs that service local areas with a view to ultimately linking them as part of a greater transmission and distribution network, regionally and then nationally. One hydrogen hub Carlton Power is currently developing is the Trafford Green Hydrogen Project, part of the Trafford Low Carbon Energy Park in Greater Manchester, Northwest England. And as you will hear, the project is moving at quite a pace and in the right direction. So the Trafford site itself, so uh, we acquired that perhaps 10 years ago. The site was formerly a coal-fired power station, which started operation in the 1950s and closed in the 1990s as part of the privatization process. On a portion of the land, we've already developed a gas-fired power station, which is now in commercial operation at Carrington. Um, And we now have planning permission on the site for some battery energy storage, uh, a long-term or a long-duration energy storage system based on cryogenic technology and the green hydrogen scheme. Um, so there is a nice circularity of the energy transition all encapsulated in one site from coal through to gas through to hydrogen in, in the future. Um, we commenced discussions with a number of local parties or partners back in uh, early 2021 including Greater Manchester Combined Authority, Trafford Council, Manchester Metropolitan University and Caden and Electricity Northwest about how we could bring forward an energy project on that site. I think one of the challenges around Greater Manchester is, you know, they have a very strong desire to decarbonise. They they set their stall out very early in terms of a target for net zero. uh, And the Mayor of Manchester has been a a driving force behind that. But one of the challenges they always had was how they could actually develop a project like this within the confines of the Greater Manchester area. So our project allows an energy transition project actually within Greater Manchester itself, which will help to deliver all the benefits into Greater Manchester. Um, we, you know, we've continued developing, and the partners have been, you know, critical to helping us get the message about out about our scheme, about linking us up with 
local partners and local off takers who can either supply skills into the project for construction and operation or can utilize the hydrogen. Um, and, and that has helped to kind of build a, a large body of support for the scheme. And then in terms of planning, we, we applied for uh, or we secured planning permission in, I think it was August or September last year. And that is for a up to 200 megawatt scheme. So it's the largest consented green hydrogen scheme in the UK. It will be built in phases. So we will phase it according to the demand for hydrogen. So the first scheme or the first phase of it is, is perhaps about 15 to 20 megawatts. Um, but we are looking to kind of scale that quite rapidly. And I think that combination of, you know, it being a, an energy transition project, it being something which has been identified as critical to Greater Manchester's net zero strategy and the type of site that it was with a history of energy generation meant that, you know, that, that it was it was relatively easy to support through planning. The first phase, which would be the, the 15 to 20 megawatts, we want that to be operational by 2025. So we want to be delivering green hydrogen into Manchester from 2025. Um, we are already in conversation with other potential off-takers to, to rapidly scale that up. Um, and potentially, you know, we could get to that 200 megawatts within five years. Uh, we would really like to get there. And I think with the combination of having the scheme of the ground on the ground demonstrating um, that the, the, the art of the possible, the level of public and political support and the, the, the kind of government um, strategy, we, we think that is eminently feasible. You sound really positive. And what I love about this, there's layer upon layer of positivity and support from a, a national level. And, you know, what the, the UK government are doing with their legally binding targets for climate change and also their sort of agnostic advisors, which are impartial, like the, the Committee on Climate Change. And they have progressive policy as well, which then enables local authorities to really act on that. And certainly with Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester at the helm, you've got a huge amount of support from really quite big players. So you're primed and you're in a good place. You've also got a project going on in Cumbria, the Kimberley project. Uh, so it's a similar type of project to our Manchester project. So uh, we have um, an agreement with Kimberley Clark uh, to provide hydrogen into their barrel um, site, which you know, Kimberley Clark is a you know a household brand. They provide you know it's Andrex Kleenex Huggies, which I think the majority of listeners will be well aware of of those products. Um, uh, and Kimberley Clark have a really strong desire to get to net zero. Um, they've already taken measures in terms of their electricity supply and, you know, they're, they're now looking at how they reduce their reliance on, on natural gas. So based on their process, um, we are able to do a scheme that's around 30 megawatts in size, and that will provide an initial uh, hydrogen, which will be used in their process um, in order to reduce their reliance on, on natural gas. Uh, the, the Barrow area, so um, South Cumbria, has a lot of uh, industry there, um, but it's also fairly remote from other parts of the country. Um, and I think a key message from you know the uh, local stakeholders in Barrow and the local stakeholders in Manchester and the local stakeholders in Plymouth is, you know, we we want to transition to net zero, but we want to do it as soon as we can. We don't want to wait five years or ten years till the infrastructure comes. So. 
if we can bring something in such as the scheme that we are proposing um, and that we want to get into operation by 2025, it then provides that early transition and, and acts as a beacon for the, the, the entire Cumbria region as to how the industry there can transition to net zero. Oh, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, also, you've got a historically a nuclear site there as well. So you've got um, yeah. a lot of the communities really do embrace energy as part of their, their source of income. It's very important for the local economy. And I presume there must be some sort of skill set there that can transition from nuclear or the natural gas to, to hydrogen. Yes. And I think there is there is that existing workforce with an existing skill set that can um, utilise it. But but also in one of the early conversations we had with some of the stakeholders in the area was one of their concerns is is they experience something of a talent drain in the area. So they see a lot of very talented uh, young people leave the area very early in their career because they don't necessarily see all the opportunities. Um, and having schemes such as ours provides that that vision of a sustainable employment and sustainable jobs based on a skill set in a, in a new area, which will perhaps encourage more of those young people to stay in the area. And, and obviously there is a, you know, there's a wider kind of economic benefits associated with that, that, that all areas are looking at. Um, so, so yeah, there is, you know, it's, as I said before, it's not just the skill set as well. It's, it's about providing that kind of sustainable uh, jobs and, and, you know, the, I guess the fairer transition in terms of there being jobs for, for, for more people. So there's certainly a lot of mobilisation when it comes to projects, and that seems to be a less of a challenge than perhaps supplying um, a, a skilled workforce in a local area. Have you found that type of challenge in Langage, which I believe is in the West Country? Yeah, so, so Langage is located on the outskirts of Plymouth. Uh, it's, it's an area where Carlton Power have been active since the mid nineties. So uh, we developed a, a power station there um, and we have aspirations for a wider energy park there. The site itself was also recently approved as part of the Plymouth and South Devon Freeport. Um, and, and then another key part of that will be hydrogen. So we have planning permission for a, a 10 megawatt hydrogen scheme there. Uh, we've identified off takers in the mineral sector who uh, are you know, very, reliant on the local area for their raw materials in terms of clays, et cetera, and, and therefore have limited ability to move, but have high exposure to gas prices and, and a need for very high temperature requirements. So there's a, a very uh, neat story there in terms of providing them with hydrogen and, and supporting the local community. Um, but in, in language and, and, and the Southwest in general, you know, I think the Southwest has a lot of you know, advanced manufacturing has a long history of, you know, being at the cutting edge of, of the energy sector. I, I think they had the first commercial wind farm in the UK. Uh, and I believe even longer ago, they, they were amongst the first to, you know, develop, um, you know, gas projects. Um, so, so they, they, you know, again, it's a similar challenge that they are a relatively remote area of the country. And they have a real desire to utilize all of their natural assets to help deliver net zero in the region and also be an exporter of some of that into the wider area. Um, uh, but but they, they, they can't wait for infrastructure to come into them in five or 10 years time. They want to do it now. 
Um, and then I think the, you know, the existence of a hydrogen project or a hydrogen supply in the region will also uh, stimulate other areas and other activities around hydrogen. So, I mean, clearly Plymouth has a, a long history in terms of, you know, the, the naval sector, um, yacht manufacturer, et cetera, and, and, and the marine sector. Um, and those marine sectors, they're also looking at how they decarbonize uh, and how they switch across from, you know, traditional fossil fuel propulsion into kind of alternative forms of propulsion. So again, similarly, it's got some skill sets, but, you know, it's a, it's a kind of similar concept that, you know, enables net zero early, but it also provides, you know, long-term sustainable jobs um, to, to, to keep talent in, in those areas. It's a very attractive sector to go into when you talk about long-term job structure and commitment by the sector to actually just really develop skills and you can almost go all the way can't you and they're fresh skills as well even though a lot of them you know are transferable from traditional fossil fuels tell me this um eric in the recent sort of year year and a half with what's been happening politically across you know, Europe and uh, with the war in Ukraine um, and gas prices. Have screen hydrogen been almost immune to the the impacts of that? I mentioned earlier on that the government has a target of 10 gigawatts by 2030, of which five was green. Their initial target was just for five gigawatts and they were neutral on the colour. So I think that the, the government has has demonstrated that between their first iteration of the hydrogen strategy and the second iteration that they saw the increasing role for green hydrogen and the ability to utilize, you know, natural assets, local renewable energy to produce green hydrogen, which in turn helps to reduce that reliance on, on, on fossil fuels and natural gas. And finally, talking about market growth, um, how vital or important are partnerships in, in pushing your agenda forward? Perhaps there has been a, a case more recently where energy projects have perhaps been developed relatively independently of the local areas. I think now there is a, a definite need for more collaboration and more partnership to, to bring those projects forward. Uh, and, and I think the, our, our projects clearly demonstrate that, that we've, um, you know, we've, we've worked alongside those partners and you know, we've provided support to them and they've provided a lot of support to us and, and that's why you know we're, we're now in a position where we've got three projects which are to all intents and purposes ready to deploy um you know once we get that that support from government in terms of the the hydrogen investment package and and then we can get to a position in 2025 where we we can bring people to a site we can show them the hydrogen being produced we can follow it we can see it being utilized and and, and for us that that looks like success in 2025 and, and it, it provides a, um, you know, a, an aspiration um, and a, an example to others as to, okay, here is a path that works. You know, we, we can follow this path where it, where it is the right path for, for industry. My thanks to Eric Adams, Green Hydrogen Project Director at Carlton Power. His clear vision and positive outlook are shared amongst those mobilising the hydrogen network in the UK and for many who are driving the net zero agenda. We contacted the Mayor's Office in Greater Manchester and Andy Burnham responded with these incredibly supportive words. 
From our local area energy plans, we know that hydrogen will have an important role to play in helping us to achieve carbon neutrality by 2038, particularly in supporting businesses and transport to decarbonise. Greater Manchester Combined Authority Memorandum of Understanding with Carlton Power has helped to support the hydrogen electrolyzer at Trafford Energy Park, which, at up to 200 megawatts, has the potential to be the UK's largest green hydrogen production facility. Our thanks to Mayor of Manchester, Andy Burnham. And thank you for listening to the first show in our Clean Tech series here at Cultivating Conversations with me, Claire Nazir. Do check out our other shows in our Food Tech and Ag Tech series. This is a Chaseman Global production, supporting leadership and innovation in life sciences.